And what a privilege I have had uh, to be in camp and just work with teenagers. And first of all, thank you guys, because <clears throat> whether some of you know it or not, you do support our ministry up there, and it is a mission field. And I often will get up early on a Sunday morning, and I <clears throat> get in my Jeep or get in a car, and I go to Dunkin' Donuts, okay? And I got to get my coffee, and I have about two hours, and go to a huge church of 23 or 17 or 42, and that's New England, okay? And they need the Lord, and it's a joy to be up there and just love them, it is. And being a camp director, honestly, I think I have learned more from the kids than, than they've ever learned from me. Because when you spend time with young people, find out what they're interested in and where they hurt and, and so, so many things I can share. Um, I remember one little guy, he was like 14 or 15. One of those kids that wore the ball cap like so far down from his face, all you can see is his nose and this brim of a hat, okay? And I noticed at camp that nobody, he was a loner, always by himself. Well, one night, I tried to talk to him a couple times, and he just was kind of shy. And then one night after an evening service, he comes up to me, and he's standing in line to talk with some other kids, and he finally gets to me. He goes, I have a question for you. I said, really, what is that? He asked me a question I've never been asked in my life at camp. He said, when do you take out your garbage? <laughs> I, <clears throat> I really did. I was kind of taken back. I said, you... Are you talking about home or here at camp? No, here at camp. I said, well, what we do is we take the pickup around, get all the trash, and then we take it to our trash truck. When I said trash truck, the kid freaked out. You have your own trash truck? Is it a side loader or is it a rear loader? Can I see it, please, please? I said, okay, tomorrow you're going with me. We're going to get all the trash in camp. I took him to the trash truck. I gave him the keys. I let him start it up, move all the levers, smash the stuff. He jumps out of the truck. He said, who's going to take it to the landfill? He said, well, his name's Dave, but it's on Saturday, and you'll already be, can I meet him, please, please? So I said, well, sure. So I met him, took him to that meal where Dave was eating. The kid walks in, meets Dave, hands Dave his Bible. Would you sign my Bible? I'm the preacher. I didn't get to sign his Bible, okay? <laughs> so I asked the sponsor. I said, met this kid. He's like really in the trash. They said, oh, you don't understand. He, uh, where he lives, big, big city, and when they have trash day, he has a special hat and shirt he always wears. In fact, if his parents don't have any trash on trash day, he goes to his neighbors and steals their trash and brings it in front of their house. He has memorized the name of every trash guy he's could, and he also invited and took four of the trash guys to church with him. Okay. Now, why did I tell you that story? Now, this guy was a bit unique, you know, talking about trash a lot. Have you ever thought about Inviting your trash guy to church. There's a lot of decisions we make in life that affect us for a few hours, a few days, maybe even a few years. But there's a lot of decisions that come in life that are eternal consequences, aren't they? And uh, the eternal consequences that we face, they're forever and forever and forever. I was preaching at camp, about a 1,000 kids. We have a thing called Christian Life Seminar, my favorite for years. It's me and the kids. No counselors. They're taking a break or a choir. And I normally start a session, which I probably should have done here this morning. And I don't want to embarrass anybody, but if I have to stop, I'll say, young lady, no more. Or back here, we got some talking. If I have to stop a third time, then I'm going to ask the pastor to come and rip your lips off your face, okay? <laughs> <clears throat> So I said the same thing, but there's a boy in the middle of a thousand teens, and he was a real tall boy, and he just wouldn't stop, and kids were looking, and he was drawing attention to himself, and finally, I said, dude, dude, right here in the middle, that's enough. 
I've looked at you. I've warned you. I want you to be quiet, not say another word. He stood up, took his Bible, and he threw it across the auditorium, and he told me to go to hell. Now, what do you do when you're in front of a 1,000 teenagers and somebody tells you to go to hell? I said, buddy, I can't. Experience the horrors, my Savior. And unlike many, I will never, ever experience the horrors of hell. You see, there's consequences to what we're going to do with Jesus Christ. Did you know that salvation is not a choice between heaven and hell? Those are consequences of the choice. Salvation is a choice between Jesus Christ and your sin. We are saved from our sin. We all have sinned and we fall short of God's glorious perfection. We cannot be perfect in heaven. It's a wonderful holy place where there's no sin. Unless my sin is separated from me, I have to be separated from God. It's what you do with Jesus Christ. The thief Satan, he comes not but to steal and to kill and destroy. It's all he wants to do. But Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. Jesus wants all alive. This is his will. He's not willing that any should perish, folks. He wants your friends and your family to live forever and forever and forever with him. But Satan wants all dead, eternally separated from God. Could you do something for me this morning? Close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. I want you to think of three individuals right now that are your friends or maybe family that do not know Christ. People you see quite often, friends or family, get their first name and their face in your mind, okay? All right, you can look at me. For those who reject Jesus Christ, the eternal consequence is eternal death. And just like I told that boy, unlike many, I will never experience hell's eternal darkness. Now, Jesus said, cast ye unprofitable servant to outer darkness. There should be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jude calls it the blackness of darkness. Peter, the chains of darkness, the mist of darkness. And folks, it is a darkness that can be felt it's a claustrophobic darkness that you can't even see. You can't see your hand from your face. It's forever and forever and forever. During Moses' day, the Lord said to him, stretch your hand towards heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. And Moses stretched forth his hand towards heaven there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They say not one another, neither rose from his place for three days. Now, folks, we are so excited to trust God for the everlasting life, but we must understand there is eternal death. And even as I share these truths with you today, it tears my heart out. I wasn't raised in your world. And most of my extended family don't know Christ. And many have left this earth already. I can't even imagine forever and forever and forever in this total darkness. Unlike many, I'll never experience hell's eternal fire. Jesus said, if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. For it's better for thee to enter into life maimed 
than having two hands and going to hell into fire that shall never be quenched. We had a boy who used to come to camp, very unique kid, smiling, happy, but he had no legs, no feet. He had two stubs, and he got around on a skateboard. I couldn't even keep up with him. He'd just take his hands and just race around the campsite. we get to the dining hall. How he did it, I don't know, but he would be able to flip that thing up in the air, catch it in those two stubs, and walk into the dining hall in his hands. He was an amazing kid, and he lived his life with no feet. It would be... My grandma was a wonderful Polish woman. She was about 4'11", both ways, and she just was wonderful. <laughs> she lived to be 99. She got into her 80s. Her mind started to go. But when she was young, mid to late 20s, she worked in a factory that made lace, and they had these great big rollers like the old wash machines would put rollers to close through. Somehow her sleeve got caught in one of those rollers, and she went to push it and just instinctively reached the other hand. And of course, both those huge rollers smashed her hands. From age 27 to 99, she had no fingers, almost no hands, just two stubs. And I'm telling you folks, it's better to live a lifetime with no hands than five seconds in hell. Hell is a real place. Like many, I'll never experience hell's eternal wrath. When John saw all the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said to them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee or run from the wrath to come? Romans tells us much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. God is a wrathful God. And if we ever think that just sin is no big deal to God, why, why does God hate sin so much that he destroyed the earth with a flood, closed Eden, sent his son to die such a horrific death? I can actually tell you why. The reason God hates sin so much is because he loves you guys so much. The only, only, only thing that can keep you from God is sin. Remember, we are saved from our sin. We're saved from the penalty of that sin. The wages of sin is what? Death. death. Eternal death. Eternal separation from God. And we have friends that are heading that way. We've not even invited them to come to this church. And we've never sat down with them in coffee and pull out a gospel track and read it to them. Even though this is so real. The sad part is the ultimate of God's wrath is not chastisement and correction. Folks, the ultimate of God's wrath is when he gets quiet. His spirit will not always strive with man, and he calls. And as he calls, he gives us this precious opportunity to choose to love him or reject him. And he calls and calls, and so many even of our family and friends, say, God, leave me alone. I don't want you. Stop. No more. And how many times? I have no idea. But there can come a time when God says, really? You, you, you want to live your entire life, an eternal life, without me? 
Are you sure? Then read closely Romans 1. Then some point God can say, okay. I trust that will never be for your friends. Unlike many, I'll never experience hell's eternal torment. In hell, we lift up his eyes being in torment, for I'm tormented in his flame. And then he goes on to say, I have five brethren, send Lazarus that he may testify to them, lest they come into this place of torment. I don't understand this completely, but there's torment even of the conscience of how many times we've been confronted with the gospel, we've been told we are sinners, told that we need to repent, that we need forgiveness for these sins, and we don't want to admit it because nobody wants to be told they're wicked, that they're sinful, so they fight against it. Your friend, almost every week would just text you and say, I'm praying for you, I'd love for you to know Christ. The torment of knowing that in your heart forever, forever, and forever. Unlike many, I'll never experience hell's eternal loneliness. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They refuse to, they, they refuse to obey the precious gospel that Jesus is the Son of God, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction, get this, from the presence of the Lord. ability of them ever again being in God's presence or in the presence of good or in the presence of peace or in the presence of other believers. It's everlasting loneliness. I've had some say, hey, I'm just going to get together with my buddies and we're going to kind of yuck it up in hell. No. The darkness and the loneliness of hell will separate those who go there forever and forever and forever. The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and forever. Now remember, this is God writing this down for us. And this is a warning. And how do you take a message like this? If you are a believer, you should be sitting there right now and say, thank you, thank you, thank you, God. Why me? Why do I get to know you? I don't know, but thank you for convicting me. And then when you think of your friends, whoa. Hell is not some imagination from some preacher that brought it up to scare it. No, 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 no. This is the eternal consequence of rejecting Jesus Christ, called eternal death. I said, buddy, I can't go to hell. And obviously, I wanted to share why. Because eternal life is the gift given to each one of us. Would you say this together with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I love these, two these last two words, everlasting life, eternal death. Every single one of us in this room will live somewhere forever and forever and forever. And it's the 
consequence of your choice and what you do with your sin in Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, and it is just a free gift. We can never, ever be good enough to earn this. Our works will never outweigh our bad. And it's a gift of God. My wife went to get her hair done at this lady, unchurched family, which most in New England are. She kept telling her about the camp, telling her about the camp, and after three years, finally talked the hairdresser into letting her little girl come to camp. She came, she's 12 years of age, Justice is her name, and she said to her counselor, hey, can I sit by you tonight in that service? Because I've only been to church one time in my life. She sat there, and I sat behind him, and I could watch her listening, and her counselor wisely gave her time to acclimate, and on Thursday, they got together, and she started talking about salvation. Little Justice says, oh, I'm saved. Oh, you are? Yeah. When? She said, last night. <laughs> well, explain it to me. Well, I knew I had to be good enough, and that pastor kept saying it was a gift of God. But then I also knew a lot of the bad things that I had done. So I did. I remember the next day at lunch, she came running over to our table. And she called Amber over, and she gave her big hugs. I got saved. I met her mom and dad when they came to pick her up, and she begs, can I go to camp two weeks next year? <laughs> and I want to see God use that little girl to see her mom and dad trust Christ, too. It is a gift of God, isn't it? This is a promise that he, God, hath promised us, even eternal life. This is a promise from God, and God never, ever breaks his promise. Isn't that wonderful? We don't have to fear the horrors of hell when you're trusting Jesus. He said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to be also. I sat in my room this morning. I think it's on the fourth floor. I'm looking out at Florida. I looked for snow. Couldn't find any. And honestly, it is beautiful. And I remember sitting there looking out that window and said, Lord, this is beautiful, but it's nothing compared to what it will be like just to serve you. Yeah. And you're going to bring back this paradise? Lord, if I could just, I don't know, mow grass for you. I don't even care because I get to be with you forever and forever. If you're a Christian here this morning and you have trusted Christ and Christ alone for your salvation, you admitted that you're a sinner and you needed forgiveness and you ask him to forgive you and you believe that Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. He was buried, but he rose again because he had never sinned. He paid the penalty for our sin, but he never sinned, so that's why he didn't have to stay in the grave. Whether you know it or not, you already have a number of moth-proof, rust-proof, burglar-proof treasures in your heavenly treasure house, a life that will never end. Wow. A gift that will never be lost a hand out of which I'll never be snatched, a love from which we shall never be separated, a calling that will never be revoked, a foundation that will never be destroyed, an inheritance that will never, ever fade away. Isn't this wonderful? I mean, everything that God promises to give us. So if you ask me why I can't experience the horrors of hell but will enjoy the joys of heaven, because God convicted me. I was in church before our family blew apart. I was seven. I remember the pastor preached, and all I remember was saying, God will forgive you for your sins if you'll ask him. And I knew I was a sinner. So I leaned over, and when my parents were in church at that time, and I said, can I go and get saved? And he said, no. 
You don't understand. You're too young. So I was trained that you obey your parents. He said I couldn't go forward, but he didn't say I couldn't get saved. So I snuck out at the end of the service, and I went to the lobby, and I found the preacher. And I said, can you show me how to be saved? And we went up in the choir loft, and I got on my knees, and I asked God to forgive me for my sins. I remember my daughter and son got into some kind of fiasco problem. She was four. He was seven. They're at their grandmother's house, so she put them out on the porch to sit there and stare at each other. (laughs) Josh, wisely in his theological way, said to his little four-year-old sister, you're in big trouble. <clears throat> Now's a good time to get saved, okay? So she, quote, got saved. A couple years later, I remember Anna called me down to her bedroom. She said, Daddy, do you remember when I got saved at Grammy T's house? I said, I remember that day. She said, I didn't get saved. I said, really? How do you know? Because I never asked Jesus to forgive me for my sins. That's the key, folks. None of us want to admit that we're wicked, that we're sinful. But, oh, once you realize that this wonderful, loving God loves us in spite of our sin, we are wicked. We are so in need of a wonderful Savior. God convicted me, but he also convinced me of the truth. The precious gospel that Jesus is the Son of God, and he came to this earth, and he lived for me, and he died for me, and he rose for me. Whoa, he's coming back for me. That's, you say, wait, Rand, if you set a date, God's not going to come because no man knoweth the day or the hour that he comes. Well, think about it. If we set a date, then he won't come. But because he won't come, we know that he might come. And because we might not know that he will come or not come, then he probably will come because we think he will come and he won't come. Or he will come. <laughs> Doesn't that make sense? We just want him to come. And he convinced me through his word of the truth. But also because God's spirit came into my heart. One of the scariest things I do in working with teenagers, I meet teens who only mirror the adults in their life. Are you saved? Oh, yeah. No desire to read the Word of God at all. No conviction when they sin at all. Have no burden for lost souls. Don't even think about even trying to witness or to invite somebody to church. No conviction when they sin. And according to Hebrews and other passages, guys, even, okay, even if I'm struggling, if the Holy Spirit lives within, I will at least be uncomfortable when I'm around unholiness. Absolutely no fruits. I'm not a preacher that ever tries to scare anyone into or out of anything, okay? But I would hope that even in here there's no one deceived, just because you're good and go to church and you don't do a lot of really bad things, that you're okay? Got to admit that we're a sinner. Got to believe in what Jesus did for us, but then the Holy Spirit comes to dwell and bears witness with your spirit. And we're not going to hit a home run on all these things, but the desire will be there because God's Spirit sealed my salvation. He who hath begun a good work in me will perform it. Oh, yeah. If you ask me, why? I'll never experience the horrors of hell. I'm going to remember that Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. Jesus came so you and I could have abundant, joyful life here on earth, eternally wonderful in heaven. 
two questions then. Where will you spend eternity? Question two, where will your friends spend eternity? Let's pray. I know this is a hard message to think about. It's joyful because of the gospel. Hell is real, folks. I know you know that. And if somehow, like we, in our busyness to serve God, could like get like 10, 15 seconds in hell, it would totally change our lives. We would not be able to even wait till we could get with our friends. We wouldn't be like distracted by all this weird stuff we're consumed with and argue about. We'd be consumed for our friends to know they're sinners, but to let them know they have a wonderful God that will forgive them. Remember those three friends? Okay. Got them in your mind? Would you be willing before God to get with them, say, I'll give you the rest of this month and one more month, all the way till the end of February? Would you just in your heart say, Lord, before the end of February, please give me the courage to get with my friends and share the truth with them. And if you fear this in any way, I beg you to come back tonight because we're going to do a quick study on the fear of witnessing. I think it'll be a help and encouragement to your heart. Knowing that the eternal life, eternal death is eternal and forever. So I pray that you would be willing to share Christ with your friends. Second question. You're here this morning, you say, Rand, wow, I don't know how to explain it, but it's almost like there's like a light switch that went on. I have an understanding I've never had before. I, I don't, I'm concerned for my soul. And if I did, if I had to stand before God today and tell him why he should let me into heaven, I'm not sure I could give an answer. The gospel Jesus died for us. He was buried. He rose again. He paid the penalty for our sin. We must believe that we are sinners and ask him to forgive us for that sin and trust Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came to this earth and Jesus Christ alone. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Here's another promise of God. We'll be saved. Isn't that great? There's someone, I'm not sure I'm a Christian. I'm not sure that my sins have been forgiven. Please, Pray that God will give me the courage to give with someone the wisdom to deal with this. Can I see your hands, please? Just lift them. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I will pray for you, I promise. Lift your hand high. I'm concerned for my soul. Please pray for me. Please pray for me. Now, what I'm about to say, please, your heads are bowed, but don't be offended. I am so very, very thankful that the majority of us in here, if not almost 100%, know that we're truly saved. But that's not good, is it? How come there's not people sitting on either side of us that have never heard this before? How come we're not reaching out to our friends and getting to this place so they can hear the gospel? This is why we're on earth, folks, to share what the wonderful God has done for us. 
It has nothing to do with numbers. It has nothing to do with you being really good and winning people to the Lord. It has everything to do that we all will live somewhere forever and forever and forever. So those of you that know Christ, thank him right now for saving you.